now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is John Marillo. John had a near-death experience, and during his NDE, he encountered a being that was eight to nine feet tall, and today we're going to learn about it. John, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Um, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, so thanks for having me on your show. Thank you so much. All right, if you don't mind, let's just start on the day that your NDE happened and go from there. Absolutely. So this happened in the beginning part of May of 2017. Um, up The days up until leading to my NDE, I was experiencing some back problems. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had walking pneumonia. I woke up the morning. I woke up that morning and I was sweating profusely. I It was almost as if it mirrored what COVID patients go through today. You know, I was just, I had breathing issues. I, I just didn't feel right. So I took myself to a hospital in the ER in Safety Harbor, Florida. And um, as soon as I walked in, they immediately saw, physically saw exactly how I was feeling. I was triaged, brought back. They thought I was ha- hooked up to an EKG. They thought I was having a heart attack. And the last thing that I remember in the here and now is giving them a urine sample so they can measure the white blood cells and, and whatnot, what was going on. That's the last thing that I remember. So here's my NDE. Um, there was, all I remember is somehow I was in my office in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I was on the phone. I got a phone call. I received a phone call from my girlfriend at the time. And she had said, she mentioned, she says, hey, how's it going, John? You know, you know, little pleasantries and whatnot. And she had said that uh, uh, I actually invited her. I said, why don't you come on over to my parents' house? They were out of town. They owned a really nice home on the Manatee River. And I suggested, you know, we'll just go shopping. There's a couple of outlets, malls down there. She loved it. Okay, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Um, but she had mentioned that she was hungry. She might stop off and get something to eat. And I said, okay, you know what? I might too, you know, but I'll see you at my parents' house. I hung up the phone, pushed in the desk to my, pushed in the chair to my desk, walked across our, you know, uh, walked across my office floor. We have a huge office, uh, very huge open office uh, work plan. Or um, so I walked out of the office, pushed the door open, or actually I used my security key to push the door open, walked down the stairs. I, when I got to the garage, if you will, the outside parking lot, I remember how the sun felt. It was about five o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't necessarily going down at the time, but you can tell that, you know, the sunset is about to happen maybe like in about 45 minutes or so. So as I opened up the door to my car, I was shuffling around for some CDs, threw a, uh, you know, threw some music on and I started to pull out of the parking lot and I started to, you know, drive, drive home. Now, my parents live in Manatee County in Bradenton, which um, for your listeners, I worked in South St. Pete. So there's a bridge that connects Pinellas County to Manatee County without going around the Tampa, the Tampa area. This bridge is called the Skyway Bridge. So as I was, I pulled out of my work parking lot and I'm heading towards the Skyway Bridge to my parents' house. I'm weaving in it out of traffic, you know, I'm singing along to my, to the CD that I had put in. 
And I remember stopping at, you know, stoplights, watching traffic go by, light turned green, started to ascend up the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. And as the as we were as I was descending, I remember thinking to myself, I'm hungry. I think I am going to stop and get something uh, something to eat. And I saw on the right hand side where there was an icon. It said almost, you know, Claremont, so many miles, um, State Road. I forget what the State Road it showed. Um, but for your listeners who are unfamiliar with the, the geographical locations of Florida, Claremont is in Orlando, which is about, I don't know, two hours away from where I was, but it didn't catch on at the time. So as I took that exit, I pulled into, I took the exit, you know, follow the road, and I pulled into what had an outside facade of an 80s McDonald's, but the building was completely white. So it looked like, you know, again, it didn't look like of the modernized McDonald's. It looked like the McDonald's that, you know, I grew up as a child of the 80s, you know, when it was fun, if you if you will. Um, but anyways, I pulled into the parking lot and I noticed that there were yellow and purple lights that were going that were that were I don't know that were shining from inside the, the, the restaurant. And I saw two guys just walking by or just walking in the restaurant. I opened up the door. And as I was looking to the ground, the, the tile still had that, you know, that terracotta uh, hue to it, still with that black, almost grayish grout. And I saw about 12 people, 12 to 15 people um, that were all around the perimeter of this room. They were all sitting with knees to chest. And I noticed that my girlfriend was there. Now, my girlfriend is a high maintenance type of girl. She likes to wear nice things, always has her hair done and whatnot. So when I looked at her, I noticed she had her hair in pigtails, which she would never, ever do. Um, and she was wearing a white shirt with, uh, you know, just regular jeans. And she calls me over. She says, John, John, John calls me over. And again, I see the two guys that kind of looked at me and, you know, I sat down right next to her. Now, as an impact, I can pick up on people's energies. I can feel attention in the room. I can easily sense when someone is not being you know, truthful, or at the same time, I can tell when someone is being really scared, especially if someone who I've known or I have feelings with for a very long time, family members, and in this case, my girlfriend. Um, so she pulls me next to her and I said, what is going on here? What's this? And as I sat down before she can speak, I started to assess the room and and there was a, there were like a yellow or a yellow, an orange background paint and there was nine TVs, about 50 inches, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, three by three. On these TVs, it almost looked like a game show. And I can't recall a lot of what the people looked like except one man. There was a heavyset black man in the, in the, in the center of the TV. And they all had lot, laptops that were, they were just typing away, typing away. And above, that, above the TVs, there was... Um, almost like a robot that looked like, I don't know if you've ever seen Short Circuit, um, Johnny Five. Um, so it had like, or the, or from, I think, was it Rocky Four, that walking robot? It had that sort of look to it. And it also had two antennas, almost like you would find on a router, one that was perpendicular to another. So one picking up a signal, another one scanning the room, scanning the room. Now, I found out that this was actually a camera in my ICU room, which I think my consciousness was just trying to determine the outside stimuli. But nonetheless, my girlfriend tells me, she says, listen, those two guys that are walking, that are pacing the room, 
they're watching us. The people on the TV are trying to hack into this camera, which she then had said that if we move, it can shoot projectiles, it can kill us. And again, she's telling me all this, and I'm not understanding a word of this. I mean, I'm un- I'm understood it, but it just wasn't clicking. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. She says, you know, we have to be careful. You know, we can't we can't make any sudden movements. So I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I said, you know what? Screw this. I pushed the two. I picked her. I picked her hand up. We started to walk out of the walk out of the restaurant. Shoved the two guys away. I maybe took maybe five steps outside the door, and all of a sudden there was this bright light. Now I'm in New Jersey. Again, this is still my new near-death experience. Mm-hmm. I'll call this one Act Two. Um, so when I realized that I was no longer in Florida with my with my girlfriend at the time, now I'm with my mother. Uh, my mother is a director of nursing. She's an RN. And um, we were in my hometown of Bayonne, New, Bayonne, New Jersey. Now, it was about one o'clock, one thirty at the time. And the reason why I could tell it was around that time in the afternoon was it wasn't the sun wasn't exactly over us and it wasn't setting or it wasn't. That's like the after afternoon, like two, three o'clock. I could just tell it was mid afternoon or it just had turned. And she tells to me, she says, you know, um, I'll tell you what, we just need to go. To, my mother's telling me. We just need to, I need you to come with work, need you to come to work with me for a few hours, and then we can go do something else. We walked into her, we walked into her her work, if you will. Now, this building, I don't know if you or any of your listeners have ever been to the Macy's um, in Herald Square in New York City, where they have the Thanksgiving Day Parade. But for those who have not, the building was built in the early 20th century. So the architecture is very, very, we'll just say um, seasoned. Kind of old, um, so old that if you actually visit Macy's and Herald Square today, they actually have wooden escalators. So, you know, just to kind of give that sort of feel to it. And as we walked in through this corridor, I noticed that there was, again, there was another black guy behind a podium. He looked like he looked, he looked like as if he worked at Best Buy. He had a really nice collared shirt on, you know, um, dress slacks. Um, and, uh, behind him was an old school CRT TV. One of those TVs that had that weighed like a million pounds for like, you know, 27, 30 inches. And, um, I remember seeing on the TV being played that there was staff that looked like this black guy going to children's rooms and giving gifts, you know, toys to, to boost their spirits. And again, I'm noticing this because my mom said that she, needed to go to work. So that kind of made sense. She walked me past this podium and she sat me down in, again, this open floor plan. And she had said to me, listen, um, I got to go check in right now with my work. I'll be back in a little bit. And as she sat me down again, I noticed for whatever reason, there was some electronic music playing in the background, which again is weird. My mom's work would never have that, never play that sort of music, let alone any sort of music in a healthcare facility. Um, and as she sat me down, I'm noticing in the upper right hand corner, again, there was that robot that, that was scanning and that was going through the rooms and I was fixated on it. Now I remember having the conscious thought that what happened, what I just explained with my girlfriend at the time, um, at the McDonald's happened two weeks prior to whatever I was going through at this point in time, I was convinced that it had happened. So I was fixated on this robot that, again, was scanning the room, scanning the room. And I remember my girlfriend telling me, you know, be careful. We, you know, we get up, 
if we move, we can be shot. And uh, I remember just, I remember being very stressed out, being very, very worried about it. So um, about two minutes went by and then I called my mother over and I said, mom, I can't be here. I want to go home. I don't want to be here. And um, she had said, she gave me this look and she says, okay, Johnny, if that's what you want, I'll be very disappointed. Now, <laughs> I remember having the conscious thought of saying, oh man, she got me as she turned around, you know, that guilt, that disappointment. You know, it's like if your parents ever say, I'm not mad at you. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. It was like one of those feelings. So um, she walked away and I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to tell her that I'm going to stay, but I need to get something needs to be done about this camera. And again, Below the camera, there were nine, there were a total of nine TVs, three by three by three of about 45 to 50 inches. Again, on these TV screens, there were people that were with laptops that were trying to hack into it, which then again, I was thinking this is the exact same, this is the exact same sort of scenario that I was in two weeks prior or act one of my near death experience. So I called my mother over and I had said, okay, mom, listen, I will stay, but you got to get me out of here. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't walk for whatever reason. I couldn't get up and just walk into the other room. Otherwise I would have. So she says to me, okay, I'm glad that you're willing to stay. Um, but I don't understand why you want to be moved. I told her that I'll stay, but you got to get me out of this room. So um, I told her why, and she had, and I told her that this 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 thing, this this robot in the corner, is very dangerous. It can kill me. She thought I was Ubot. She thought I was completely crazy. It wasn't computing to her. But there was this girl sitting to the left of me. She was about five foot seven, long brown hair, just a, just a regular person, maybe about 135 to 140 pounds. She actually interjected on my behalf and said, "No." Your son is right. Something's going on with that camera. Something's going on with this robot. So um, when she heard that from this other person, she says, okay, you got to give me a little, well, I'll tell you what, give me a couple of minutes. I'll get Joyce to, to help. One of her friends name is Joyce that she worked with. I'll get her to address this issue. But before we do any of this, Johnny, we need to get your temperature down. We need to get your blood pressure down. Now, as I'm during this whole near death experience during, you know, this part, the part that happened with my mom or my, my girlfriend at the time and into this part going forward, it was as real as, um, as, as in the here and now I was able to drink. I was able to eat. I was able to, I remember smells. I remember, you know, just, it was so, so real. Now I've done dreaming. I've done lucid dreaming. I've done astral projection. This, this whole near-death experience was not that. Um, so she gives me this washcloth, which was cold. She puts it on my brow, and I can literally feel the water trickling down my cheek. I take it off, put it in the back of my neck. Again, I can feel it. And then she kept on making it cooler, you know, dipping it in cold water. I remember putting it in my mouth because I was thirsty at the time. And um, – she says, she comes back over to me and she says, okay, so tell me what's going on with this whole robot thing. And as I explained to her what had happened, why I was scared of it, she said she was going to take care of it, which she did. And I told her that the people that were on the TV were the same people that I saw that I was with, you know, my ex-girlfriend at the time that they were trying to hack in. And then she validated. She says, yes, um, I know that they're with computers. They're doing something with computers and there are like almost like our security team. So it kind of validated what was going on. 
and um, which was which was great and fine for me. But then she was able to she was able with her and someone else move me into this hallway where I first encountered the, the black guy behind the, the podium. So she sits me down there. Now, as I'm sitting next to, I'm sitting across, I guess you, from this guy in the, the podium, very well-spoken. And I was also sitting next to an elderly, another black elderly gentleman. He probably was maybe in his early seventies or whatnot. Um, and again, we're not ambulatory. I can't get up. Neither could he, but the guy behind the podium he and I started to talk. Now there was behind the podium, there was a teal, like, like the, the walls were painted in a, in a teal color above the walls. There were all these caricatures of this person and these caricatures emulated like community chess, you know, uh, it's from the monopoly man. Um, it was very reminiscent to that chance community chess. And it was like telling a story. And that piqued my interest. So I asked the guy behind the counter, I said, what is, what is this place? What's going on here? And he started to tell me the story of a gentleman who owned this healthcare facility. He says that it was a black man who owned the, the hospital that he did so, he did such great, such great things for the community, especially for children um, that the, when he died, the community and the the hospital that he built wanted to have his legacy, you know, be carried on. It was almost as if he had this, I don't know, this je ne sais quoi, if you will, of a Santa Claus, um, that he was a, like almost like a saint, that he, that, that people respected him and adored him, that, you know, he, what he was doing, as it was explained to me, at least, what he did for the community was unheard of at these times. Um, so that's why people were going from room to room, handing out um, gifts to, to, you know, to these sick children with terminal diseases, or at least that's how I portrayed it. So as I'm watching these caricatures go by, telling this story, telling this story, um, he says to me, you know, are you able to walk? And I says, no, not right now, but I know I will be able to. I, I'll know I'll be able to eventually guy to the right of me said the same thing says man i i can't walk but you know i'm going to need something to, to help me eventually and the guy behind the podium says to me well you know if you say if you if you say it or if you if you want something and you say it mr so-and-so or the 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 guy that this hospital was built around he'll hear you again almost like the santa claus thing and you'll get what you want of course i'm like okay well whatever and as I'm noticing, I, you know, after maybe about five to seven minutes had passed by, I remember thinking to myself and saying, yeah, you know what? I can really use a cane because I want to take my girlfriend out on a date and I know that I'm not going to be able to walk and, you know, I'll need some sort of support. What do you know? I was able to manifest a cane, which was completely black, except with a white tip. It was the way I looked at it. It was almost as if it was part of like, you know, the golden era of Hollywood, um, you know, and. I saw this in between, again, these, this story that was being told on these caricatures, there was this cane and all of a sudden, just like one of those cane thing or the, those, those toy things that you put a dollar in, the kids try to scoop those claws. It almost fell into like that sort of like reservoir. It came down, it, it fell down and it's just sitting there. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I can really use that. But this guy to the right of me, he needs it more than I do. I'm only at the time, um, this was in 2017. So I was 37 at the time. I'm 41 now. 
I remember thinking, I'm still a young man, even though that it may be hard for me to, 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 you know, to walk again, it may be even more difficult. It'll be more difficult for this guy than it would be for me. He probably needs it more than I do, even though that I didn't say it and I didn't, you know, make it known. Um, th- these are the conscious thoughts that I was having. And this guy behind the podium was busting my chops. He was saying things like, man, I don't know why people are asking for things. And, you know, when it comes, when it happens, you know, they don't take advantage of it. You know, making these very passive aggressive gigs, which I didn't, I did not find insulting. But at the same time, I knew what he was trying to I knew what he was trying to do. And to my left of me, I kept on seeing this bright white light, this bright light through the doors that I came in through. And then for whatever reason, another bright white light happens. And now I am in what's almost looks like a, like a back office. Uh, Like there were stacks of documents in uh, like an overflow from filing cabinets, if you will. And I remember three, three nurses all dressed in blue um, around my, around where I, my bed that I was laying in addition to a doctor who was sitting, you know, even though that I was laying down like this, his face was facing me, but he, as he was sitting down taking notes. And as I process all of this, I kind of figured this is just me coming out of my coma. But I saw my sister. Now, my sister, now my near-death experience, again, happened in Florida. My sister lives in New Jersey in addition to my mother. So when I saw my sister, she says to me, Johnny, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. I know that you're not feeling well. You know, don't worry, we're going to get you some medicine. And then there was another bright light, and now I'm out of my coma. When I came out of my coma in the here and now, the doctors in the ICU room told my entire family, if he wakes up, he's going to be brain dead. He's not going to have much cognitive function. Um, you're going to have to bring him to a special place in Georgia that have the faculties and the facility to help him in his rehabilitation from all of the, you know, from what he was going through. Now, what I went through emulates exactly what COVID patients go through today. Now, I had, some people have one chest tube, maybe two, three is unheard of. I had five chest tubes. I had a, a, a feeding tube. In addition to, I also had, was on a ventilator. So just to give you, you and your audience an idea, like I had a 90% mortality rate. So to put things into perspective, if it's going, if there's a 90% chance of it raining, you know, today or tomorrow, chances are it's going to rain. And when it rains, it's going to pour. So my family was literally prepared for the worst. So when I came out of my near death, when I came out of my coma, they're asking me questions. Do you know what day it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you know where you are? And I couldn't speak because I didn't have a speaking tube. And obviously I had a, you know, had a tracheotomy. But I remember I had the mental faculty to, I had, I I had the mindset to, to look around my IC or my hospital room to find one of those welcome boards that says, hello, today's date is so-and-so, your nurse is so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. I was looking for that and I couldn't find it, but they can tell that I was picking up on, you know, on these questions. And obviously I couldn't speak, but I, I did made the attempt and did try and, and try to get some words out. So that night I fell asleep. And again, I was dreaming. I also was full, you know, I had, a, I was under the influence of a lot of narcotics. So I started to think to myself through that night, okay, I saw my mom 
I saw my sister. I have to be in New Jersey. The thing that happened with my girlfriend at the time happened to two weeks prior. And it was raining that night. I remember specifically it raining. And I remember hearing the two doctors saying, yeah, we need to transport him. So as the morning came and as it, as it, as it stormed throughout the night, I remember thinking to myself, okay, they had to bring me over in a boat. Okay. Now if I'm still in New Jersey, they had to bring me over in a boat or in at least a big enough boat to, you know, to bring my, you know, my gurney and all this other stuff. So as the sun was rising in the here and now, it's about, I don't know, six in the morning, seven in the morning, I started to become a little more lucid. I started becoming more conscious of what's going on. And I started to think to myself, okay, I can't, there's no way where I was, my hospital room, there was no way that the, there was a big enough boat that could fit into a canal that we, you know, would be able to transport me. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, whatever happened with my sister is complete BS. I know whatever happened with my mom was complete BS. But whatever happened with my girlfriend at the McDonald's at the time, I thought was 110%. I thought it was Bible. I, I really believed it was true until I asked her. So this happened in 2017. So I'm still, and my mom has had experiences, not near death experiences or out of body experiences, but she's had visions, you know, of her, you know, when she was small um, about her sister who had passed away from a stillbirth or something along those lines. So I tried, if anyone was going to understand my plight, what I went through, not just what I went through in the here and now, but my near death experience, it would be her. So I tried to approach it to her. I started asking her questions and she just gave me this blank stare. And she says, you know, Johnny, it's all in your head, which I started, I just shut down. I didn't understand. I was like, what, what's going on here? You know, if my primary guardian, if she is, you know, I love my mom. My mom loves me. You know, we, I had a great, I had a great childhood and, you know, um, I knew that if anyone was going to tell me the truth, it would be her. But when she gave it to me straight and she says, Johnny, this is all in your head. I, A, I didn't believe her, you know, B, I knew what I experienced was 110% real. And I wasn't about to have a conversation arguing back and forth with her about my experience. So I just shoved it. I, you know, again, I shut down. I just kept it inside. And any time that I would try talking about my near-death experience to anybody, even a fraction of the story that I just told you, I would start to cry. I would get really emotional. I just was not stable at the time. I was suffering from PTSD, plain textbook, textbook, textbook symptoms. So 2017, 2018, 2019 happens. And again, I'm still dealing with this. And mind you, I made a full recovery. You know, I had to relearn how to walk again. I had to learn how to get in and out of cars. I was really, really messed up. But I made a full recovery. So when the pandemic hit in 2020 and we started, we were, we all went remote and we started to, I started to hear what COVID patients were going through in Italy in China, you know, in the UK. And then when it hit home here in the United States, I'm like, this is exactly what I went through in 2017. And I started my PTSD symptoms started coming back, started coming back. And I remember it was maybe, about a, a yeah, it was probably like April and May of 2020, where we were having our departmental Zoom meetings, if you will, and there was chatter of us returning back to work, and I started to freak out. I started to, I don't want to say freak out, but I, I I wasn't handling the news right. 
you know, I was, I started to have these very vivid, lucid dreams of my experience of my near death experience. Now, the part that I was, that I kept on having dreams, and now this is a, over a week. I remember when my, after my mom repositioned me, when I was right next to this guy in the podium, I kept on fixating over this bright light to the left of me. And for whatever reason, for the, you know, night one, night two, night three, I would just wake up. I would, it would look, I really, really, again, now I've done lucid dreaming before. So I knew I could control, I knew when I was dreaming and I was trying to control me getting up and trying to remember all of these details that had happened. And for whatever reason, I was not able to remember. In fact, every time that I would try to get up, I would wake up, I would wake up, I would wake up. So, of course, I tried to the old traditional way. I tried to go see a therapist and the therapist kept on telling me well, all he wanted to talk about was things that happened in my childhood or things that led me up. Just just all these ancillary things while they were valid. It's I, I you know, I, I knew that it's not what I needed at the time. So in my I, I belong to a community of we'll just say of new new agers. You know, these are. You know, people that are involved in near-death experiences, people that were ex-military that involved in the secret space program or ex-government officials, ex, ex-military officials, you know, these you know, people that are very credible that, you know, are into, you know, new age type of stuff, um, contactees, if you will. So I reached out to a couple of different people and they pointed me to a guy out um, that, that, that does this regression type of deal. So I started to investigate how, you know, what a regression is, what's involved in it, and um, how it could help me. So I followed through and I made an appointment. And um, when I met with this guy, he tells me, he warned me three times. He says, listen, you know, I can, I can definitely help you out, but there's a reason why your conscious mind is not recalling any of this. Typically, in my experience, as he's telling this to me, is your conscious mind isn't ready for you. Your higher self, as he explained it, um, is protecting you. you. You know, you're not, you're, you're in the here and now, you're not able to process, you know, what had happened. You'll eventually remember it, but you're wanting to take a shortcut and find out what's going on. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And he kept on wording this, you know, in two, three different ways. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I need to find out what's going on. Something happened. It was almost as if like I was watching a movie that I've never seen before and they keep on tearing up, you know, turning it off at the end, at the, at the climax, at the end, at the end. And it was very frustrating to me. It was affecting my productivity. So I, I needed some information and I needed it now. So I was regressed and here's what I recalled. And this is where it gets funky. So after my mom repositioned me, um, that white light through the front door was just too unbearable. It was as if it was like I was being drawn to it. Um, I was able to get up. I was able to just I, people that were in the guy behind the podium, my mom is this as if they didn't even exist. I just got up and I walked through the door. And as I opened up the door from which I'm thinking I'm going to be in my hometown of Bayo, New Jersey, I maybe took, took me about two or three steps. And all of a sudden, I'm in this white construct, like when Morpheus is trying to train Neo on what the matrix is, if you will. And all of a sudden, now I'm seeing this white construct. I turn around to go right back into my mom's work in Bayonne, New Jersey, and the door was gone. 
Now, as I turned around, like, where the hell am I type of deal? What I'm about to say, everything happened at once. So I turned around and in front of me was this eight to nine foot tall, blonde hair, blue eyed being. He, he looked like he belonged on the cover of Vogue or like some fashion. He was just piercing blue eyes and he was built like very muscular. Um, and I had no fear. Like people think, you know, I, I've talked to some of my friends like, oh my God, if I see an eight to nine foot tall, I'd freak out. No, it wasn't like that. It was, and in my peripherals, I'm look, I'm six foot tall. So I'm looking at him like this and, and, um, how can I explain this? And in my peripheral vision, again, I'm looking at his face. I'm looking at his eyes and I'm staring up in my peripheral. I can see, again, he was wearing a very blue type type of suit. And there was a Saturn symbol on his right chest, right chest area. I'll call it a lapel, but he wasn't wearing a jacket, but like right here. And I don't know. Best way that I can describe this next thing is if you preheat an oven to 400 or 500 degrees and you open it up and that heat wave hits you, it was almost, it was exactly like that, but of energy, of love, peace, understanding, acceptance, unity. I, I, words can't describe on how I felt. It was, I've been suffering and I've been suffering in silence for so long. That when I, where, where I was and what I felt, I, I didn't have any fear and I just was at home. I can't explain it. It was, I, I, I was happy. I was at peace. Like I didn't have a care in the world. Like I was like, finally I'm here, if you will. And in my mind, in my head, I hear my own voice, but it wasn't my voice. It, you know, like my own inner monologue. I hear you need to go back you have more work to do. And as I'm staring and I'm seeing him, and I'm looking like this. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to go. I don't want to go back. I want to go home. And I remember having this feeling of like, don't send me. Like, I'm, I'm please. I want to be here. Don't, I don't want to leave. And I knew that he, I knew that he felt my energy. I, I knew, I knew that he did because he gave me this look as if like a player would a coach or a parent would a small child, like, you know, he just gave me this humbling response, this, this, this acceptance. Like, I know that I know what you're going through. You just have to keep fighting a little bit longer. You know, he never gave me his name, never told me where he was from. I've never had this sort of experience before, but whoever it was, I believe he was part of my soul family. Um, and when I told him that I, I didn't want to go back, I wanted to go home. Again, he's nine, he's, he's so tall. He just gives, he puts his right hand on my left shoulder and boom, I'm out of my coma. Now, when I, I remember having the feelings of, I went from PTSD, very committed, very, how can I put this? Um, I was determined. I was resolute in finding a solution as to what did I, what, what piece of the puzzle was I missing? And when I found that piece of the puzzle, I became extremely depressed, severe depression because I'm back in the here and now. It's almost like, you know, you're eating a, you know, a, a, a filet mignon or a, a ribeye from a five star restaurant. And now you have to you have all you're eating is these, you know, TV dinners of Salisbury steak. You know, I know that's a weak metaphor, but I just went from being so happy and at peace to 
now I'm in here. Now I'm in, uh, now I'm in hell. I'm, I'm, I'm really, now I'm in the here and now, now I'm back to the suffering and not necessarily just me, but again, I'm an empath. So I don't like it when people suffer. I, I, I feel people's energies and it was just so overwhelming for me that I, I didn't want to be here anymore. I, I, I didn't get it. All I wanted to do was return back to where I was. And I tried committing suicide a couple of times. I, I, I really tried to end my life because I didn't want to be here anymore. I used to be scared to death. I used to, I used to not, I, I knew that there was something after my, after, I knew that there was an afterlife, but not in this sort of context. And I tried methodically. I, I, I really, really put in an attempt into to end my life a few times afterwards. And I failed each and every single time. And as, as my emotional state, you know, was, had progressed from, you know, PTSD to severe depression, to suicide attempts throughout this entire time, I'm starting to, I started to do a deep dive into Dolores Cannon, um, into synchronicities, numerology. And I started, the one thing that resonated with me was we are, we're electric, you know, our, our cells produce electricity. We give off a frequency and all we need to do is just turn the tile, turn the dial like a radio dial into certain into a certain frequency, and we can we can manifest our own reality. We could we can bring about positive change. If we're around positive people, we're gonna have positive things happen. It's almost like a karmetic cycle, if you will. And um, I started to I started to listen when the universe was speaking to me. What I mean by that was. I started to talk to my brother and my sister and my mom and they, they gave me, they lifted my spirits for one. I wasn't suicidal anymore, but at the time I was like, I, I want answers. Why am I still here? What is my purpose? What is this work that I'm supposed to do? I don't get it. I was so confused. And um, as I started again, as I'm going deeper and deeper into this research and I started to, I just let myself go. I'm like, okay, universe lead me this is i'm here to do what you need me to do and through a series of synchronicities and events brought me up to new jersey this is october of this year a couple months ago and um when i'm in new jersey i was there maybe 12 hours 24 hours if you will and i saw a post on facebook about the afterlife or, uh, you know, an experience and whatnot. And of course there's a myriad of, co you know, of comments from, yes, I believe you to know you're a completely ubats, you know, you're, 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 it's fake. You're atheist from your, it, I mean, it was just, just, it was all over, all over the, uh, the comments were all over the place, but I shared my experience. And again, I was crying when all I'm typing these in my letter, in, I'm typing this, you know, my experience out and I'm just, just crying. I'm, I'm in a really sad state. And some guy out of nowhere invited me to this near death experience group. Jeff, that's where I met you in. Mm. And um, I shared my experience there and I started to join other groups and it became more and more. It was very therapeutic for me to speak on this topic and not just in this topic, but I also share a lot of information about secret programs, government programs, you know, uh, about consciousness, these hundreds of millions of dollars that the CIA and FBI have invested to find out what's what exactly is our consciousness, how it does reflect our reality. And why would they keep it secret? You know, I started to 
just put out regurgitated information and just put it out there, put it out there. I don't know who it is. I don't know who I'm going to talk to when it's going to be, but I know that there's going to be a soul that I touch. There's going to be someone I may not change the world, but I know that there is going to be someone that I speak to that may be the person that changes the world or that person may speak with somebody else that does change the world. And, um, when I was able to get my story out and when I was able to finally just talk about it and I saw this mean, this meme, uh, I think Loris Cannon had posted it's something along the lines of, you know, you're healed when you can talk about your trauma without crying. Hmm. And I was able to do this and I was able to go on a couple of podcast interviews, yours included. Um, I was, I've been looking for, we were supposed to do this in October or, or no, in, in early November. And, um, you know, I was so looking forward to this. I had some things, obviously we had, we had some scheduling issues, but I've been looking forward to this for so long, being able to share my experience, being able to, you know, open people's eyes saying, Hey, look, you know, there's so much more out there. You know, our eyes can only perceive a fraction of the light spectrum. Same thing with our ears when it comes to sound. So that means scientifically, of course, there's so much more going around us that we can't see or hear and having this near-death experience being able to share it with not just necessarily you but your audience has been it's it's it brings me solace it brings me joy that yeah i went through what i went through and that's okay because had i not gone through had i not suffered when i was a child had i not suffered when i was a young adult to a mid-adult had i not gone through what i went through um, in the ICU room or this whole thing, you know, I wouldn't have met this or I wouldn't have had this experience with this eight to nine foot tall, blonde hair, blue eyed being like, and then, and, and so, you know, recently I started to, I became more curious as to what is this Saturn symbol? And I started to look into Elena Danan and God bless her. She's such a, she's such a beautiful soul. She's a contactee. Um, and I'm, and I, found out about her through Dr. Michael Sala at exopolitics.org. And I reached out to her. I said, look, I know that you don't know me. You know, I'm probably one of many thousands of people that email you on a daily basis or comment, whatnot. But this is my experience. Can you help me? Do you, do you know who this was? And I made it clear to her. I've never, I'm not a contactee, I'm not psychic, but, you know, I've looked at your webpage and I saw this Saturn thing. And she says, yes. You know, this represents the Galactic Federation. She says, yes, that it's that it is valid. Your experience is 110 percent authentic, that you can be at peace knowing that you're protected, knowing that, you know, um, knowing that your soul, your, your soul's being watched over. Now, whether you believe in Jesus, ETs, whether you believe we're all having the same conversation, you know, it, no matter what you call he or she, they or them. The, these these beings, whether it's Jesus or this being that I met, these are pure souls. These are these, these entities are just filled with love and acceptance. That that are it's just so intoxicating. I just wish the entire world can experience what I did. And if they did, maybe we won't have all these wars. Maybe people would think twice before hurting somebody else. You know, and um, it really spoke to me. So that's my near death experience. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. It kind of seems to me like, 
in the first part of your NDE before your regression that you went to some other realm and yeah. you were like being watched or something. It, it is true, Jeff. And again, I mean, I like to look at things from all sort of angles. I look at my near death experience in addition to the research that I've done as almost like a Venn diagram, you know, but they all intersect. They all, they, they, they all overlap in one, in, in one, in, in one section. They all kind of relate one. I know that I'm being watched over Two, wherever I was, it was as real as I'm like, I'm talking to you. Obviously we're, if we were in a phys, if we were physically together, it would be as real as if I'm sitting with you or sitting with my girlfriend or my father talking about whatever. I mean, it was so real. Like I had no idea wherever I was. And it only wasn't until I got out of my near death experience where I was like, okay, this is not real. This is real. This is not real. This is real. And again, I took, I take everything with a grain of salt, you know? Uh, And I'm quick to say, you know, I'm not psychic. I'm, you know, this is just my experience. This is what happened. Take it for, take it for what it's worth, you know? Um, But, you know, yeah, like (laughs) I really, really tried. I tried my hardest. I sad to say, but I really tried my hardest to commit suicide. I I was, I, I was being where I was and the feelings that I felt were just so intoxicating, so real. And just, I can't explain it. It was just, I wanted to go back so bad. Do you think it was like more real than here? And like here is a dream compared to there. Um, here's what I'll say. Wherever I, it was very, very, very real. I think it's just our conscious mind is just trying to interpret wherever our, wherever we were. Now, there is no link between the brain and consciousness, no physical link. You know, they're independent of each other. However, if there's trauma to the brain, it will affect consciousness, but not in the, not, not in the reverse order. You know, um, I grew up Roman Catholic. You know, I went to Novenas with my grandmother, been confirmed, you know, but as I got older and I started to dive into the history of the Catholic Church, you know, I started to realize that, you know, not only has the Bible been edited incorrectly, things have been, books have been left out, um, mistranslations and so forth, that I, you know, I knew that there was something else out there. I knew that, you know, that there is a creator, source, God, that I knew that there was something looking after me. I used to think it was my uncle, you know, not to say that he's not looking after me because he died in 94. He was almost like a surrogate father to me. But at the same time, you know, after my experience with this, this being, you know, I'm convinced it could, it could be both of them. I don't know. Um, I know it wasn't purgatory. Hmm. I know I wasn't just sitting there being around, you know, I will tell you this. I had no concept of time. You know, there, I could have, what I experienced, I probably was in my mind, in my conscious mind, I was there for maybe like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, three at the most. I was in, uh, I was in a medically induced coma for two weeks, you know? So the concept of time is out the window. The concept of, uh, in, uh, uh, of any of, of Newtonian physics, if you will, you know, um, or any sort of 
or any sort of assessment of, in the here and now, it was gone. In other words, outside of like, like, for example, when I saw the sign for Claremont, that's in Orlando. You know, when I had this thing, you know, you know, the, the whole this whole time thing. And, you know, um, the, the, I can't explain it. It was all I know is that it felt real. It was real wherever I was. But I had no idea how long I was there. I had no long. I had no idea, you know, where I was. All I know is that I was at home. I was I was at peace. I was OK. You know, do you recall what the beings clothes looked like? Absolutely. So it was almost if you can see this folder, it was maybe a little darker than this. This is almost like a light blue teal type of deal. And again, now, mind you, this thing, this this being was eight to nine foot feet tall. I'm six foot. So I'm looking up like this. Now, I'm you have to understand, I've never experienced telepathy before. I've never experienced any of this so when i'm looking in front of this being you know i'm using just like i just like when i came out of my coma i started to look into my environment i started to not necessarily focus on it but i knew i was aware and i saw it was almost like a it wasn't yellow i my eyes perceived a white saturn symbol right here you know and it he, he was his clothes almost like it was like I can't explain like um not fabrically woven into his skin if you will but you can tell that he was it almost like emulated like a wetsuit you know um he was it was just very pressed you can tell that the dude worked out you know but I will tell you this all I was fixated on was what I was hearing in my head that and even more powerfully um the intoxicating feelings of love, peace, acceptance, understanding. I've never experienced stuff like that before. I've never, it's sad to say, you know, in the early 90s, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, I've, I've dabbled in, you know, I've experimented, you know, with some, with MDMA, ecstasy and so forth. I know what those, I know what that feels like. This was not, it was a thousand times more powerful, a thousand times more peaceful and, like even thinking about it now I want to go back but I know that there's more work that needs to be done you know I know that uh, I'm supposed to be on your your podcast mm -hmm. not saying that was told to me but I know that I need to do activities like this and speak to people like yourself because who knows you know maybe somebody is driving and wants to listen to your podcast or you know maybe you know you have colleagues and friends that will hear this episode or others if you will and um, it might change their life or they might, hey, I've seen the same thing in my dreams and whatnot. Now, mind you, like I said, I did a deep dive into all of this stuff and beings of that sort of density, if you will, or that have that sort of higher consciousness, they're just not going to appear from in front of you. Some maybe, but typically nine times out of 10, they introduce themselves in dreams or, you know, so you're not, you don't have this shock of, oh, dude, you know, because I tell you what. I've had at least I've I've told this story, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 times to different people. And 25 to 30 percent of the time, they always say the same thing. If I ever saw this, if I ever saw an eight foot to nine foot tall human in front of me, I'd freak out. Typically, you know what? That's probably the right primitive response to, you know, to someone who has no background in this, someone who has no curiosity in this. 
I feel that way. I felt at I felt I felt at peace, Jeff. I can't explain it to you. I mean, just the the best way if you can just think of the most happiest memory times the the most recent happy memory of 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 giving and of 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 loving other people that times a million I can't, words can't put in words cannot describe how I felt it was more of a feeling than words you know is, is the memory of this experience fading or is it still real today as no, it was the day no. it happened I, I, the memory of this being is like he beat me up in the second grade like I I remember not just him but of everything I mean small intricate like I said I've done dreaming when you dream. Yeah, I had a dream about you, Jeff. I was on your podcast and we were talking about dinosaurs like that. Very short, simple. You might, if you had a dream journal, you might write a little, some things down. Lucid dreaming is when you know that you're dreaming and you control that dream. You know, um, it's not an overnight thing. It took a lot of practice for me to realize when this was happening and then being able to manipulate my dreams when I am, you know, when I am dreaming, um, sometimes when I'll have nightmares and I know that I'm dreaming, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll wake myself up purposely. Astral projection is basically, it's like your soul traveling. You have no physical body. You're able to see what's going on, you know, consciously in the here and now. But as far as like in intricate details like this, not so much, you, you know, you're, you're focused on one, one event or you're focused on a certain activity or a certain or, or or a certain person put people places or things but what happened in my near-death experience jeff i was able to recall small intricate details of my entire and my entire experience i mean i've listened to a lot of your guests when they speak on their near-death experience and is and, and it's very reminiscent to seeing you know, people who experience out of body, like OB, have OBEs, you know, they're involved in a trauma or a, a car wreck and they can see people working on them. Or if they're in the hospital, they can see the nurses and doctors trying to resuscitate your body. You know, it's, it's kind of like that, but you're actually going through it. And when you're going through it, you know, you're again, you, the people that are physically in front of you, you can touch, you, 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 you can you know, you can feel that you can feel this other person, you know, you can, you see what they look like. You see, you know, I'm able to recall clothes. I'm able to recall music or, or colors and certain events, speech cadences, tones, um, a, a myriad of things. And over time, the more that I think about this, the more that I write things down, because I plan on writing a book about my experience and, um, yeah, uh, the more and more that I speak on it, the more therapeutic it is for me and the more things that I remember, you know, I'll remember small little, Oh yeah. I, rem I remember. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention this or, Oh yeah, this is what happened. I, you know, not to say that my story changed, but I'm able to recall just stupid ancillary details. You know, for example, like before I couldn't really recall the lights that were in the McDonald's scene with my ex-girlfriend I, I only recently remembered or recalled, oh, yeah, they were purple and yellow lights. I wonder why that was going on. Oh, probably because I heard some a faint EDM or a faint, you know, electronic music dance, you know, music in the background. OK, that kind of makes sense type of deal, you know. So, um, yeah, as the more that I speak on this, the more the more times that I share, 
you know, the more details that I, I do recall. But losing that memory, no way. No way. Too profound. After hearing this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or talk to you or chat mm-hmm. with you. Are you open to that? And if so, Absolutely. how should they reach out to you? Um, my, I have, um, you can reach out to my email. I have a Gmail, um, uh, 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 an email. It's tiptoe Murillo, T-I-P-T-O-E, Murillo, M-U-R-I-L-L-O at gmail.com. So yeah, by, by, I, I, I encourage your listeners to, to ask questions. I encourage your listeners to reach out to me and whether it's inquisitive, whether it's, you know, uh, constructive criticism, whether it's questions, I welcome it all. And again, I'm not psychic. I'm not pretending to be, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm definitely not a contactee, but I know what I experienced and I know what I went through and, um, I'll be more than happy to answer any questions or concerns that anyone has. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? Yeah, I do. Um, don't be afraid of death. Death is, is a human construct, just like time is. It's all relative. That for anyone who has ever lost somebody, for anyone that wonders what's on the other side, you just know that it's just filled with peace, understanding, love, and acceptance. That our loved ones, you will see them again. You will definitely experience the feelings that you had when they were in the here and now, when you cross over, if you will. I've been there. I've seen it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. I think John Lennon had a quote. He said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, um, I'm no longer afraid of death. It's just like getting out of one car and getting into another. You know, we're here to learn our lessons. We're here to live our life without greed, envy, or hatred. We're supposed to do service to others. And I encourage people when you never know whose life you're going to touch. You never know whose life you're going to change just by saying hello. You know, I encourage everyone just to smile a little more, just to to ask, hey, how are you doing? And, and really mean it. You know, you never know whose, whose life you're going to save. Just a simple hello. How's it going in the middle of Publix or Walmart? Saved my life. You know, and that person had no idea what I was going through. But I will always remember that till the day that I die. So thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to do this. Thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. We really appreciate you sharing with us. And I wish you the best. Thanks so much. I I look forward to watching this later on, too. You know, Mm -hmm. and um, thank you so much for having me on, Jeff. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.